to be like him, to be like Christ. Is that not our prayer? A couple weeks ago, we started a study in Matthew chapter 5. I'd like for us to continue that study on the Beatitudes. Of course, we know the setting. Jesus went up in the mountain. His disciples came and then the multitude. And he began to teach. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be be filled. We see in these words a constitution, as it were, of Christ's kingdom, a picture of Christ's character, as it were a step-by-step analogy of the Christian walk. But those words continue in verse 7, and that's where I would like to begin our study today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy is one of the core characteristics of God's character. Many of you know that uh, Christina and I, when we when we have the, ch- the chance, we like to get outdoors and and go camping, and go and enjoy the woods. And I like being out in creation. I like virtually all of God's creatures, with a few exceptions. There are some that make me a little creepy. Um, we were camping last week, and the sun had just set, but of course you know how hot it was last week, and there's a little trail. We had to walk down this trail to get to the restrooms, and then we were coming back, And I was walking next to Christina, and all of a sudden, Christina just does this, right in front of me, pushes me, pushes me off the trail. And look, there was a copperhead snake. I came this close to stepping on it. And it slithered off the path. And my heart was, (laughs) and I was so thankful for my wife. That's not the first time that she has saved my life, and probably won't be the last. And thankful to the Lord for <laughs> watching out for us. But it reminded me of a time, a couple or three or four, I don't know how many years ago now, six years ago, it doesn't seem that long ago, <laughs> we were camping the, in the exact same campsite on the lake at Laurel Lake with some friends of ours. And we were walking around our campsite and around the little lake shore beside the campsite and just a beautiful setting. And we saw here, just on the side of the, of the beach, just kind of up under some brush, a snake. And at first I was like, oh, watch out, there's a snake. But then we looked, and it wasn't going anywhere. It just was kind of writhing around in, in a little ball. So we started going over closer to it once we realized it wasn't going to run out and chase us. And we determined it wasn't a copperhead. It didn't appear to be a poisonous snake. We figured out later that it was a hognosed snake. But somehow, in its slithering through the forest, it had come across a piece of trash, a little piece of netting that someone had thrown out, and it had gotten its body entangled inside that plastic netting to where you could hardly see the netting because it was down in its scales, but he was all tied up together, and he, no matter how much he struggled, he couldn't get free. And so... After I realized the snake wasn't going to hurt me, I 
got over my fear, and I kind of started feeling sorry for this poor snake. Because obviously, in quite a lot of distress, it's just kind of writhing around there. So I went, and I found in my camping gear a little multi-tool, and it had a little pair of scissors and a little knife on it. And I took that scissors and very carefully came up so that the snake couldn't strike me. I came up from the other side, and it came up and started snipping away that netting. One little piece, and it, at first the snake was trying to struggle and get away from me, but then he started to relax, and yeah, he was hissing at me. <laughs> it is somewhat disconcerting to be that close to a snake when it's hissing at you, but anyway. <laughs> one by one, I snipped the little bits of netting until... When I finally snipped the last piece of netting that was constricting around his body, he just kind of breathed in and then he relaxed. He looked around and just slowly slithered away. And he didn't hiss at me anymore. He was happy. And you know what? As I was thinking about this verse, blessed are the merciful. What does it mean to be merciful? You know, there's so much that we can take from this verse. But as I look around on our society, I see examples of two things. I see a lot of examples of people who are anything but merciful. Cold-hearted, selfish, cruel. You know, it's only natural when you think about it. Since the entrance of sin into this world, that men would be cruel and hard-hearted. But there's another force at work in this world. And that is the force of the grace of God, influencing the hearts of men. And whenever you and I, you or I perform an act of mercy, an act of kindness, it is an act of the grace of God flowing through us to someone else. God, when he spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, Moses asked if he could see the glory of God. And God came and passed before Moses. And what did he say? The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. God's character, the very beginning of his character, is defined by this word, mercy. We say that God is love, and it is true. But love is such an abstract concept. What does it mean to love? Mercy is love in action. God does not ask us if we are worthy. He doesn't ask us, how much can you pay me? What can you do for me if I will give you an act of mercy? What could that little snake do for me? What did it benefit me to have helped that snake there at our campsite? Was it any, was it any, was there any reason for myself to want a snake crawling around my campsite? Not really. But God, though He needs nothing from us, though we can give nothing to Him, yet He shows mercy to us because He loves you and, and me. When we look at the world, when we look at the ministry that God has called us to, do we ask, are these people that we're helping, are they worthy of our help? Are they really going to even appreciate it? Are we going to get paid? 
Or do we ask, how can I show the love and mercy of Christ? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. These are attributes, these are characteristics of God. Now, of course, if you think about the disciples there listening to Jesus, if Jesus had said, blessed are those who are pure, the disciples immediately would have thought, well, of course, he's talking about the rabbis, the scribes and the Pharisees, because several times a day, in fact, almost continuously, they would be performing rituals, whether they were washing their hands or whether they were offering sacrifices or whether they were doing some other ritual to purify themselves, to keep themselves away from any kind of ceremonial uncleanness. But Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who are pure on the outside. He said, blessed are the pure in heart. You see, it doesn't matter how much you wash your hands. It doesn't matter how much you come to church. It doesn't matter what you do on the outside. What matters is what is the character of your heart. Now, we could go a lot of directions with this, and it wouldn't necessarily be wrong. When you think of purity, of course, we think of in the, in the sensual sense that the absence of anything that is sensual or earthly or worldly, and that is true, that is very true, but I think there's something even deeper, something even more relevant in these verses that can touch every single one of us. Blessed are the pure in heart. You see in our society, in our world, we have gotten into such a fast-paced society that we fragment our lives and our purpose and our direction in every different direction. And so I wake up on Monday morning and I, I give my wife a hug and a kiss and I say, I'll see you later, honey. And I get in my car and I drive off to work and for eight hours I spend my life and energy trying to help the business that I work for, the organization that I work for, to prosper and to succeed. And then I, I, I kind of shift gears a little bit and I work for, and I, I'm like, well, I got to help my family. So I, you know, maybe I'll go and visit my mom and help her to, to work on something. And then I, I shift gears again and we kind of shift our gears. We have, we have priorities and we learn that, learn what we call to prioritize, right? We, got, we do this and then we do this and then we do this. And it's, it's kind of like this tool. I keep this in my car. And, and we can, we get a, we're a little bit of everything. We can be all things to all people. So if I need a screwdriver, I can have a screwdriver. And if I need a file, I've got a file. And if I need a knife, I've got a knife. And I even have a saw on this if I need a saw. And, and, and we kind of have trained ourselves to be a little bit of everything for everyone. What is your purpose in life? Why are you here? If you weren't here, what would be missed? Have you ever sat down to think about those questions? If you were to boil it all down to one sentence, well, I'm here so that I can have fun, so that I can make some money, so I can have kids, and so I can have a good job, and is that why we're here? Blessed are the pure 
in heart. You know, when I read the Bible, I see that, yes, in the Bible there are times when you have to have priorities and you have to have be pulled in different directions. But in the very core of your heart, what is the purpose of your life? I see a call in this verse for us to be not like a multi-tool, all things to all people, but to be a single-purpose tool. Something like this, that at the very heart and core of my existence, I exist for the service of God. And my heart is not divided among a hundred different priorities. But to have my heart fully and a hundred percent consecrated to the service of God. And when I think about my church, when I think about my family, when I think about my job, my church is not just a little compartment of my life. One of those things that I can pull out on Sabbath morning and put it back away on Sabbath afternoon. But my church is an expression of that ultimate purpose in my life, to serve God with a pure heart. My family is not something else that I can pull out of a box in the morning, put away when I go to, go to work, and pull it out again maybe for an hour in the evening. But my family is another outgrowth of the same fundamental purpose in my life, to serve and to know God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, we can only appreciate God when we can, in, a, in some way, through his spirit, become a little bit like him. In our own life, we are so different because we have been deceived by for thousands of years. We as the human race have been deceived by Satan and by his lies. When we look at the character of God, it appears appalling to us. How could a being exist for the purpose of love? I exist so that I can make money. I exist so that I can be better than everybody else. And when we look at the character of God and the character of a Christian to be self-sacrificing, to be altruistic, it's a foreign concept. I can't even understand it. Until I'm influenced, until I'm changed by the Spirit of God, now we see through a glass darkly. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then shall we know, shall I know, even as also I am known. As we day by day behold the image of Christ, as we behold his character, as we allow his spirit to purify our hearts, to take out all of the other purposes in our lives until our purpose is one, pure and true, only to serve him and every other purpose in our lives becomes subordinate to that one purpose. It is only then that we can see and know who God is. Friends, one day soon, Jesus Christ 
is coming back in the clouds of heaven. He promised over 2,000, almost 2,000 years ago that he would return again. We still look forward to that day. And yet it says in that day, there will be men and women who will be calling for the mountains and rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. There will be two groups of people. Both will see or have the opportunity to see the face of God. One will run and hide in terror. The other will be those who have purified themselves, who have allowed the grace of God to purify their lives. And they will behold his face. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, of course, I envision, you know, maybe there's two people and they have a disagreement. And they can't work out that disagreement between themselves. But a third party comes in, puts his arm around one, and puts his arm around the other, says, let's talk. That's basically what a peacemaker is. Let's lay down our guns, let's lay down our knives and our weapons, and let's talk. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Of course, I could quote another verse where he says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. But the only true source of peace is in God. The only way that you and I can have peace in our hearts is by a full understanding and acceptance of the gospel of that incredible exchange whereby he takes the penalty for my sin and gives me his righteousness. And I can have peace with God. Christ Jesus is the ultimate true peacemaker. Because for all of my life, I have been at enmity with God. I cannot have peace with God because of my sin. And because of his holy character, he cannot reconcile himself to sin, but because of the love of Christ, he took my penalty so that I could have his pardon. He is the ultimate peacemaker. He is the Son of God. But Jesus said this to us. Jesus, God's peacemaker, said this to his disciples and to you and me. Blessed are the peacemakers. You see, as we go into our communities, as we go into our families, we interact with people who do not have that peace in their hearts that only God can give. How will they ever know the peace that we can know? Unless we tell them. Unless we share it with them. Unless we become that agent. Having an arm wrapped around the love of God, having his arms wrapped around us, we wrap our arms around someone else in need and bring that person to Christ. Bring that person to God. That is the ultimate peacemaker. For then 
they shall be called the sons of God. I had a story I was going to tell you, and then it just left my mind. Maybe it'll come to me in a minute. (laughs) Ah, yes, I remember now. It wasn't a story. It was an article that I read this week. And and, uh, not to get distracted on a subject that's completely different than this, but, you know, our nation is experiencing a crisis right now. Well, probably several crises, but the one that I'm thinking of is one to do with opioids. And here in Macquarie County, we are at as high a risk as anywhere, if not more. This, there's a little pocket in eastern Kentucky where heroin and, and other opioids are hitting the streets and people are overdosing now in larger numbers than anywhere else in the country. What happens is there has, there has been, and there's all kinds of different processes, but there's been heroin on the streets. Of course, it's an illegal drug. You can't, you can't buy it legally. So crooks, the drug dealers, are taking the heroin and cutting it with fentanyl, which is an extremely cheap but extremely toxic drug that uh, you take it, you overdose, and you die, basically, if you don't get treatment very fast and very soon, uh, and people are dying left and right as a result of this of this crisis. And of course, um, you know, I work in public health. Uh, I do computer work, of course, but I work side by side with people who are struggling and wrestling with these problems. How do we help people? Not only do we have a crisis of drug overdoses, but we also are seeing a secondary crisis of, of uh, HIV and hepatitis C as a result of the sharing of the, of the needles and people are shooting up and then sharing the needles with their friends and it's just, it's just getting out of hand. And so how can we deal with all of these public health crises? And, and so like a lot, like I say, a lot of money and research has been, has been going into this to try to deal with this crisis. But I read an article this week. I was talking about this crisis and trying to get to the reason and the root cause for this. Of course, we can blame doctors for prescribing opioid medications, and we can blame all these other things. But this article was talking about how the opioids work. Did you know that your body naturally produces opioids? It does. It's part of the mechanism that makes you feel happy, that makes you feel fulfilled. Of course, it doesn't produce it in the quantities that you would get, you know, when you're shooting up recreational drugs. But it, nevertheless, so they said, what, what causes this? And they did some experiments with rats and they did some experiments with people. And you know what, how a person gets that high, so to speak, normally, a normal person, it's in their interaction with other people who are who love them or who they love with family with close friends within those social interactions whenever you have the social interactions especially if there's a touch like a hug your body will release opioids when a person is in a loving relationship in the family when they're cared about when they're 
cared for and they have other people to care for, the desire for those opioids goes down, down, down because their bodies are naturally producing them. And on the flip side, when a person is completely isolated and depressed and goes, goes into a downward spiral and becomes isolated from other family members, that's when they're at the highest risk of becoming addicted to these straight drugs. So the, the, uh, the, the point the author was making in the article, now I'm not a scientist, is we need more people and more programs to get people connected with other people in a positive, not critical, not harsh, not, you know, but a positive, loving relationship. And if it's not blood family, then make a family for them. And I got to thinking, what is a church? What are we here for? Are we, do we not have right here in our midst an answer to this problem that is plaguing our society? We become a loving family, or we ought to be, and I feel it. We ought to be a loving family for everyone who walks through our doors. Do you know that you can have that power to save someone's life just by giving them a hug? Anyway, that was a little aside. But I think it goes along with this idea. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who go out of their way to care for someone. To make peace with between myself and another person, to make my, to help another person make peace with God. But you know, there's this one, perhaps the most difficult of the Beatitudes. It's so difficult, in fact, that Jesus spends three verses presenting the last Beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the what? I liked the rest of these. I was getting on a roll. Blessed are the persecuted? Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for the sake of Christ? You know when I'm falsely accused? You know that saying, your blood boils? <laughs> that, that's kind of the feeling. I Do what? But you know, this is one of the things that God, that Christ promised his disciples. And we don't like it naturally. But you know, if you look at the progression, none of these do we like naturally, really. Humility, mourning, hungering, hungering after righteousness, honoring others more than ourselves. And you know, when you follow Christ, when you follow his principles, it becomes obvious to everyone around you. You know what? You're not like the rest of us. Why don't you join into our, our activities? Why, don't, why, why do you ask for Sabbath off every week? I mean, why, why aren't you like the rest of us? Why don't you go to a, a party with us? Why don't... You know, every time you hear something like that, 
You can think of this verse. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, we don't go out of our way to invite persecution. We don't, we don't try to put ourselves in a way where, you know, we become a martyr and that's, that's really another way of exhibiting pride, which is not humility, right? But when we're following Christ, no matter what time we live in, even right now today in the United States of America, in a land of freedom and liberty, we are not exempt from persecution. Ridicule, scorn, misunderstanding. It's par for the course. In fact, if you're not experiencing persecution, it's probably a sign. You better watch out. Maybe you're drifting away from these principles. Blessed are you. It's almost a promise, as it were. If you do these things, you will suffer persecution. But what's the rest of the promise? Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You see, friends, we're not about having a good time here. We're not about even so much making this world a better place, although the world should be a better place for our having been here. But friends, this world is not our home. We're looking for a better kingdom, a kingdom up in heaven. And when, when others ridicule us, when they call us names, when they say, why aren't you like the rest of us? In, as it says in verse 12, we can rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, I want to ask you today, Are you a peacemaker? Are you merciful? Are you pure in heart? How is it with your soul? For John said, When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Did they persecute Christ? Did they not hang him on a cross? What, what can they do to you and me that Christ hasn't already suffered? Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, you have taught us to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And as we go from this place, I pray that you will use us to show mercy to those who are in need. To be peacemakers. To have our hearts solely purposed on you. That with this pure and holy purpose, we may go forth and though we may suffer persecution for your sake, may we rejoice and be exceeding glad, for we know we have a reward in your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.